0: Living Water Radio. Today we're going to talk about reality. In a time of multiple crises, what is real? Would we know reality if we saw it? Most importantly, are we making our own reality, or is reality making us? My name is Pastor David Birkadall. My wife, Rev. Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I've worked in a variety of blue-collar summer jobs, served in the Marine Corps, played drums and jazz bands, and was a competitive master swimmer. After college in Minnesota and a seminary in Berkeley, I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. last Saturday was the 4th of July, the 244th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. Many of us celebrated it by declaring our independence from any sense of the common good, exploding illegal fireworks and thumbing our noses at local government and law enforcement. We celebrated freedom by ignoring it. In my experience and in the observation of church development author text sample, people who say no one's going to tell me what to do aren't declaring their rights. They are usually the same people that everybody is telling what to do, and they have nowhere to vent their anger. That's not freedom. That's license. I personally don't buy the argument that it was done for the children. Children aren't naturally drawn to explosions and noxious fumes. I don't buy the argument that after months of restrictions brought on by the coronavirus, people needed to blow off steam. There are lots of ways to do that that don't involve a betrayal of the common good, terrorizing animals, polluting the air for everyone, and putting people with compromised breathing systems at risk, breaking down civil order, and teaching children to care for no one but themselves. It's just another form of rioting that, and forgive me if I'm wrong, the same people who blew off the fireworks were condemning when they saw it on TV. The same could be said about wearing face masks. Current scientific research indicates that the coronavirus is spread in water droplets launched through the air from person to person by such activities as coughing, sneezing, singing, and talking. Any kind of mask helps reduce the transmission of these droplets, though some are better than others. We've known for some time, according to a model developed at the University of Washington in a study often quoted by the White House, that 33,000 lives could be saved by the beginning of October if 85% of the American public wore masks. That doesn't seem to be enough of an incentive for large numbers of us, as you can see most places every day. So maybe this will. According to a study by economists at Goldman Sachs, we could save 5% of our $20.54 billion gross domestic product, this is in 2018, if wearing masks became a national mandate. That's a little over a trillion dollars that could be used to save jobs and pay decent wages, save businesses, and help develop material independence from enemy countries who make the things that we now have to buy— including medical equipment, strategic machinery, and personal protective equipment. Some will say it's all a political plot by an overreaching government, that it's a hoax. And they will ask, do you personally know anyone who has died of the coronavirus? Do you even personally know anyone who has contracted the coronavirus? I haven't, and I've thought about that a lot. Here's what I think. I've only known one person my entire life who has been killed in a car accident. I've only known a handful who have been seriously injured in a car accident. These facts do not lead me to conclude that national seatbelt mandates or airbags are examples of government overreach. It leads me to conclude that I don't want to die or suffer injury because of a little thing like a seatbelt. When the mandate was being introduced and people still didn't wear them, and I confess that it took me a long time to wear them regularly— the click it or ticket campaign was effective in reminding people that there is a penalty for avoiding laws written for our safety, and a fine is just one part of it. Wearing a seat belt doesn't guarantee that you won't be in a car crash, but it does make it way more likely that you will survive if you are in one. Someone online suggested that maybe we should institute a similar campaign with a slogan like, mask it or tat casket. Uh, too harsh? Maybe. Wearing a mask doesn't guarantee that you won't be infected with the coronavirus, but it does make it way less likely that you will, especially if everybody wears them. The coronavirus numbers over the 4th of July weekend did not look good. Hospitalizations continued to rise at a record pace, and the number of intensive care unit patients with confirmed infections was up 63% over the previous three weeks. That's pretty harsh. The rate at which coronavirus tests in California are coming back positive has also jumped 42% over the past two weeks. That's pretty harsh. Los Angeles County announced that on Friday, 3,187 new cases of COVID-19 were reported, the highest daily total since the pandemic began. That's pretty harsh. So we can wear masks or not wear them and stay at home. Or we can see what we are seeing now rising numbers of cases and rates of death. Which version of what is true do we choose? Which reality? I heard a philosopher-theologian speak at the Claremont School of Theology several years ago. He spoke about having grown up in a poor village in Argentina. One Christmas, his gift was an apple. That may seem pretty pathetic. Apples literally grow on trees here. But in his village in Argentina, no one had ever even seen an apple. His father brought it back from a trip to the city. It was presented to him in something like green waxed paper. He didn't eat it at Christmas. People would come to his house to see the apple. He wouldn't, he would ceremoniously unwrap it and show it, and people would say, ah. One day, when he didn't think he could keep the apple fresh any longer, he took a bite. He said he still remembers the snap of the bite, the taste of the apple, and the juice running down his cheeks. He said that each one of us brings different associations to eating apples. In fact, we could take a bite out of the same apple, but would experience it very differently. Likewise, we each bring our own history to our own experience of reality. We experience eating the apple differently, but there is only one apple. God, however, is reality itself. Do we make our own reality then, or does reality make us? Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans 1, beginning at the 16th verse, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Even since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. Paul reminds the Christians in Rome who had been undergoing terrible persecution, torture, and death, that people who do evil but who do not believe in God have no excuse before God that the Creator is knowable through the creation. Philip Dick, the science fiction writer whose esteemed written works such as Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and Ubik were turned into such popular movies as Minority Report, Total Recall, and Blade Runner, once said, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ comes through the proclamation of the good news, but our understanding of reality is built on the creation, and creation reveals the general nature of the Creator. The Creator is made known to us in a living relationship with the living God that God gives to those who receive it, and the reality is alive and accessible to everybody on the planet. Reality reveals life itself. It is a gift from God, the Creator, to all people, not just the Jewish people, not just to Greeks, that is, the non-Jewish people, i.e. pagans, not just to Christian people, to all people. Reality, that is, the living God, is accessible to all people. To know God, therefore— is to care for the real needs of God's people and for God's creation. It means placing the needs of others ahead of our own, to build up the community, the body of Christ, with all the gifts God has given us, and to show that same love to the world is rooted in living reality. God is living reality, and even more than what we can know of reality, God's created reality is made known to us in the creation. If the cosmos ceased to exist, God would still exist, in a kind of existence we cannot even imagine. The physical world can be measured, but what can be imagined and understood, God has revealed to us. God's love, God's forgiveness, God's patience, God's justice have been made known to all people. Our task is not to motivate ourselves into thinking that the world revolves around us. Doing that is what sin means. Our task is to point to what God has done and is doing. It is to care for the world, to care for other people, to seek what builds people up in the name of God. We do not ask God to bless what we are doing to help ourselves. We pray that we might do what God is blessing to bless the world. Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just— whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There is where you will find God at work in you, by serving God in living reality. Today, let's remember to pray for those who provide essential services and for those who seek the common good. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today—the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com, or send us a tweet at, at DavidBurkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same address, and we'll include them next time. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio.